Hi, this is Pastor Brittany Isaac from Urban Village Church, Chicago. We are a church that is bold, inclusive, and relevant. I know that many of you out there are hungry for a gospel message of healing and wholeness, a message that leads to a life transformed by Christ. I hope that this podcast does just that. And if it does, would you please consider making a financial gift that will support this gospel-inclusive ministry? You can do that by going to urbanvillagechurch.org forward slash give. Thanks so much and have a blessed day. And that you are not your own, for you were bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body. Good morning, Urban Village. At the end of the service, you can buy my new book called Shun Fornication out in the lobby. You all are like, should we laugh? <laughs> he, could be, he could have really written that book. Uh, I did not write that book. Yes, yes, Assemblies of God indeed is where I came from. So this morning, uh, before I share my, my message, I think one thing I really hate is when somebody uh, preaches or shares with me, and I just don't know their story, I don't know their context, I don't know where they're coming from. So I just want to start with that. Uh, grew up in the suburbs in Elgin, Illinois. Um, what's that? My name? Josh Lee. It's on my book. Um, I figured you all knew. So my name is Josh Lee. I, I grew up in the suburbs of Elgin, Illinois. I um, started going to church when I was like 12 and became a Christian then. And really quickly, by the time I was 13, I like knew that I knew that I knew that I wanted to be a pastor. And so I started a ministry in my middle school. I grew like well over 100 students. And so by the time I got um, into high school, this local American Baptist church said, hey, we'd like to merge our, our ministries, your youth ministry and ours. And so I came on staff as their youth director. And then when I graduated high school, they said, well, if you want to keep this job, you should get some letters behind your name and go to Moody Bible Institute. So I started commuting. I went to Moody and worked at the church. During that time there, I met a gay professor who said that the response to homosexuality is singleness and celibacy. And so I, this is how I decided I was supposed to deal with my sexuality. And so I committed to that and uh, told the pastor of the church that I was at, and the church just could not handle that information. And so I was let go. I uh, went back to the Assemblies of God Church that I had grown up in at 12 and became one of the pastors there. And after a year, the superintendent found out that the church had hired a single celibate gay pastor. And in the Assemblies of God, you can be delivered of gay demons. So I was told, you go through reparative therapy uh, or you resign. And I chose resignation. And so then I spent my last two years at Moody trying to figure out where am I going to fit into living into my calling yet still being true to myself. Uh, and so after graduation, uh, this little church, the day after I graduated, hired me in Madisonville, Kentucky. And so I moved there, but quickly began to realize they did not know um, and have a concept of sexuality. For them, I had been celibate for four years. So that meant I wasn't gay anymore. If you weren't sleeping with a man, that means you're not gay. They didn't realize that for them, gay was something you do, not something you are. And so they started introducing me to all their nieces and their nephews, not their nephews, I wish. Um, <laughs> trying to, you know, hook me up, and I'm thinking, boy, no, I'm just single and celibate. I'm, I'm not doing all this. And, and, and so then I begin to see my, my friends get married uh, and have kids, and I begin to have jealousy, and I wanted those same things. Um, and I begin to realize my sexuality was not just about sex, it was about relationship, and sex was just a part of that. And so I started studying gay-affirming theology, and after a year of that, I resigned from my church a couple days before the Supreme Court voted in favor of gay marriage, and then a few months later came out online in support of gay marriage, and had spent the last two years sort of rebuilding uh, my network as it just totally fell apart after that. 
Um, and part of that was going back to Garrett um, and getting uh, a master's and learning progressive theology and then being a part of Urban Village and figuring out what it looks like to be a part of an inclusive, progressive community. Um, so that's kind of my context of where I'm coming from. As I look at our message today, um, I see this environment um, in Kalamazoo where I lived uh, that is a reflection, I think, of the environment that we have seen in our culture throughout all of time. So I lived in Kalamazoo a year after I resigned um, from Kentucky. And while I was there, uh, several really big community incidents occurred. Uh, the first one that happened was an Uber shooter killed six people uh, and injured two. And then we had a cycling accident um, that uh, a, a truck, a pickup truck, killed five people and, and injured seven. And when that happened, there were prayer vigils. There was a prayer vigil by the progressive liberals in town that met in the town square. And then there was a separate prayer vigil that happened by the conservatives in the local me megachurch in town. But then when the Orlando shooting happened, when the Orlando shooting happened and we saw 49 people wounded and 50, or I mean, 49 people dead and 53 people wounded, only the progressives gathered to remember their lives. The conservatives did not. And what that said to me was that the conservatives felt that they deserved to die. That their lives, because of the way they lived their lives, or because of who they were, however they translated that, were not worthy of being celebrated or remembered. And as we talk about bodies, I think that's the most important thing that we recognize, is that in our culture and in our time and throughout all of time, bodies have been valued by a number of different things. People value bodies based on gender. People value bodies based on religion, based on race, nationality, intelligence, abilities, social class, sexuality, temperament, religion. We value bodies in this way. We see this reflected again in the AIDS crisis and why it took so long for people to step up. We see this again reflected with people of color. And we see this reflected again with women and their role and their equality to men. We see this over and over and over again that people's bodies are valued differently. And it greatly affects not just the way that we view ourselves, but the way we view God and the way we believe God has created us and the way we view one another. So you may be thinking this morning, I don't really see why we need to do a series on bodies. This seems really silly. My, my intention this morning is, is to do this. I want to set up this whole series for you of why it's important to talk about bodies, how the world values bodies, how God values bodies. But then outside of that, to also begin to dive in and to look at the topic of identifying how important it is that we live into our wholeness of who we are. I believe this is what holiness is. Holiness is to be whole. Holiness is to be whole. It's to say, God made me with all these different facets and elements and needs, and I'm going to try to live into and, be, and, and nurture and care for all of those things. And if I do that, I'm being whole because I'm reflecting the wholeness of who God made me to be in his image, and which means that I'm looking like him or I'm looking like her. This is my heart today is then to also begin to ask questions about what is it that we need to do to use our bodies for purpose, okay? So those, those are kind of some things we're going to dive into. But for those of you in the room who may be thinking, oh, I don't really see the need um, for bodies, and what do you mean about bodies, and how is that relevant to me? Here's a list, maybe not exhaustive, of issues that maybe you could relate with or you know someone that they can relate with, topics that have to do with our body. Uh, circumcision in the Bible. Uh, race, race, ethnicity, social class, hierarchy resulting in slavery and systemic racism, child slavery, sex slaves, war, sickness, mental health, physical, emotional, spiritual health, ableism, gender and uh, roles for me both men and women and value that's seen in those things, 
physical, sexual, or emotional abuse, trans topics, sexuality, sex, sex workers, marriage, divorce, relationships, singleness, celibacy, child-rearing, pornography, and or art forms of glorifying and taking pleasure in beauty and the human body, piercings, tattoos, cutting, alcohol consumption, legal or illegal drug consumption, the giving and taking of life, abortion, death penalty, war, euthanasia, masturbation, and a wide spectrum of sexual expressions, overeating, eating healthy, anorexia, bulimia, exercise, forms of prayer, language of our power of our words. That's a pretty long list. All things connected to how we view our bodies and how we value and view one another's bodies. Important topic, wouldn't you say? To help us make sense of these things. Now, I think what's most frustrating for me is that when I look at our passage today and I look at Scripture, turn to the person next to you and say, systematic theology. (laughs) You'll probably never be asked to say that to somebody again. (laughs) Systematic theology. What I want us to do today is I want to look less at our passage and more at what motivated our passage. What is the framework and the mindset that motivated and drew this passage to conclusion? It talks about prostitutes or sex workers in this passage, does it not? And this passage is written from a male perspective, not considering even the culture and the system that has been set up to place uh, these women and men into prostitution. Now, I want to acknowledge the fact that there are some people I realize that are in sex work and enjoy and they're not forced. I'm going to just acknowledge that. But I want to focus for a moment on our context that we're in in this passage and that the scripture is speaking from. The reality is that if a woman was divorced or a woman uh, had sex outside of marriage, then when she was washed her hands of and thrown away, she could never remarry again. She was, she was spoiled good, and no one would take her. If her husband died, that was done with her. If she doesn't have a husband, she can't have a job, what is she supposed to do for a living? Well, go where the demand is. Sex in the Bible is only considered, uh, I'm sorry, adultery in the Bible is only considered a sin when a man has sex with another man's wife. You catch that? Go through and read any of the passages that you see about adultery. That's what adultery is in the Bible. You have sex with another man's property. But most men would have sex with their wives, and most men would go and have sex with prostitutes or other women as well. Usually prostitutes, because if they had sex with another woman, that meant that if she lost her virginity, she's probably, you know, untainted goods and no one would want her again. She'd never get married. So what we're seeing is is this exploited system and this male privileged position where they're shaming the prostitute, but yet not even acknowledging their explicit and systemic hand in it. And the Bible over and over again uh, takes this stand on flesh. Like our bodies are bad. Our, uh, like have you ever heard the references like, oh, you're in the flesh. Oh, you're, or, or your fruit is rotten. Right? Uh, or you, you hear these things? I, go, you, you, oh, I got an amen with a chuckle. Good. I was hoping for a, a two-four punch right there. Yes. We, we, we hear these references to our bodies being these bad things, right? Like, and we hear people talk about, like, I want to just shed this body and get to heaven so that I don't have to deal with this sinful nature anymore and this difficult challenges of sickness and temptation and, and, and the challenges that come with being in this body, right? And, and, and I was just thinking yesterday for Earth Day how two years ago when I was in the progressive, I would have just thrown garbage on the ground and thought, oh, this is great. I'm, I'm, I'm beckoning the return of Christ. You know, I'm, I'm causing the earth to die quicker so that Jesus will come back quicker. And who cares about this earth because God's just going to make it all new again. 
I used to think like that. Now I don't think like that because I'm a good liberal. But this is the reality. This is the reality of what some people think about the flesh and about the world and about this life and what we can see and touch and taste. And the Bible continues to reinforce this bad and negative idea of flesh. And I think it's important that we realize that flesh now, we may not think it's that bad, but in the Bible, the flesh was a terrible thing for them. And that was because they didn't have a lot of ways to handle it. And what I mean by that is this. The flesh was something in the Bible that could be cut, broken, wounded, infected, diseased, cut off, become a hindrance that causes pain and discomfort. They didn't have modern medicine, okay? You get a cut, maybe you could throw some wine on it and kill it or something, but chances are it's going to get infected. Chances are there's a possibility that you're going to have to cut that limb off. Chances are you get sick, that's going to be the thing that kills you. The flesh, the body was a terrible thing they did that they did not like and they wanted to shed like skin off a snake. The Bible also, I read to realize in the first century times that, that, that they absolutely thought the body was disgusting because from it came prenatal blood and sweat and bowel movements and urine and semen and tears, snot, earwax, lactation, and a lot of other things. And it was gross and there was no way to maintain these things. You went to the bathroom, there was no modern sewer system, you walked through it in the streets. Thinking about reading through uh, the Clinton Foundation wrote an article this week and released it. Chelsea Clinton talked about wanting to raise awareness. She says the average woman menstruates for 3,000 days in her lifetime. Yes, you can tell your friends. The preacher talked about menstruation in the pulpit today. And it's not shameful and it's not gross and it shouldn't be weird and it shouldn't be abnormal. I would say turn to your partner next to you and say menstruation, but, you know. Go ahead, do it if you want to. Get it all? Okay, you're wasting my time. Here we go. All right, so three, this is what she says. The average woman menstruates for 3,000 days, do laps in her lifetime, and far too many girls and women don't have access to clean and sanitary products. Catch this. One out of every 10 girls in Africa misses school when she menstruates because she doesn't have access to pads or clean water to wash them after use. That means that the girls confront fear of embarrassment monthly and are missing school every month. This isn't just a problem, though, in the developing world. In America, tampons and pads aren't covered by food stamps, despite the fact that sanitary products are among the most requested items at food pantries and homeless shelters. Because someone at the top, someone at a place of privilege says, oh no, those products are a point of privilege, not necessity. Or, we don't want to talk about that topic, it's gross and disgusting, and there's other things to fight for. What? It's a shaming and a, and a turning away from the reality of the, of, of the reality of our bodies. And the Bible at times even reinforces this idea, right? You have this idea that if a woman menstruates, that she can't come into the holies of holies. She has to stay away because she's unclean. If you have a bowel movement, you have to stay away from the holies of holies until you get clean. If you have a child, you have to stay away from the holies of holies because you're not clean. These things that the body does and that God created us to do somehow deem us to be unclean. This doesn't seem right. And Jesus comes on the scene in Matthew and he continually tells his religious leaders, y'all made a lot of this stuff up. Y'all made rules to help people follow the rules. Enough is enough. And he begins to break down these barriers and he's like, you're missing the whole letter and heart of the law. And Jesus begins to reverse these things. And, and it's taken thousands of years for us to get to where we are today. To begin to realize, oh, wow, uh, 
there were some points of privilege and objectivity that were spoken of in Scripture. And my body's not evil. And I think the narrative, and this is, here's, here's you're going to listen to anything else, listen to this, this is the best part of the argument. Okay? We're told that our bodies are evil and they're bad and they're, and they're the thing we're going to shed so we can just get to heaven and everything be okay. Reality is your body's not evil. Things you do in your body can be evil. And why I think that is because Jesus had a stinking body. Jesus walked on this earth and had a body. And if our bodies are evil, then that would have made Jesus intrinsically evil. It was not, and the Bible says that he was tempted in every way. So guess what? He even experienced the same temptations we do in our bodies. But was he evil? Was he sinful for that? No. What you do with your body can be sinful. But your body is not sinful. I was going to show you a picture. Uh, As a kid, I loved to be naked. I loved to run around naked. And I was going to show you a picture of that. Uh, because I was, I, was in a, I was standing in a, in a sink when I was like five years old, covered from here all the way down to my toes in shaving cream, and I had a fake little uh, shaving cream, uh, I mean a razor that I was going to shave my whole body with, I just thought it was so cool to be like my dad. But I was taught, I was taught, and I, I don't, my dad did do the full body shave. So I, I was taught, I was taught like, you should be ashamed of your body. You can't run around naked, Josh. That's bad. Cover that up. But as a kid, I never was ashamed to be naked. But I was taught that you can't be naked because that's going to make other people think bad things. Or that makes you vulnerable. And you need to be modest and you need to cover up and you need to do these things, right? And and why do I have to cover up so that you can exercise self-control? But you see, we're taught that nakedness, that our body is something to be shameful of and to to hide and to to not embrace and to celebrate, but that it's this evil thing that we need to somehow shed in some way. But, But it is not. It is what we do in these bodies that can be evil, but these bodies are not evil, friends. Turn to your neighbor and say, these bodies are not evil. Adam and Eve in the garden, they stand, do they not? And Jesus, I mean, God, God calls to them and says, who told you you were naked? The serpent did. And the serpent made you feel guilty and shameful for that. But he covers their shame. You heard it. <laughs> now, he, now, Jarrell told me that I went too long last time so I can go a little longer. And he just walked out. Can I go a little longer? No, I can't go longer. Okay, all right. <clears throat> So as we bring close the message, I invite the worship team up because I'm from the Assemblies of God and I want a little music in the background. And I want us to really take a moment and I want us to reframe uh, and really evaluate maybe some of the harmful rhetoric that we have been taught about how to value and devalue bodies and even our own. And I can tell you right now, uh, you're supposed to love your neighbor as yourself and if you can't even love your own stinking body, you're not going to be able to love someone else who doesn't look like you. And so it's healthy and it's important that we make sure we have a correct view of our own bodies and our own selves so that we can love our neighbors. And that comes from loving God. And we have to have a correct view of God in order to love yourself because you were created in God's image. And in order order to love others, you have to have a correct view of self and of God in order to accomplish that. And so let's just take a moment and let's just take some time to reflect. I'm going to ask you some questions. And whatever posture you want to take, whether that's closing your eyes or taking a piece of paper out and maybe writing answers down, But just take some time for this moment and just reflect. What is it 
um, that you've been taught? And what are some intentional steps that maybe you need to take to maintain this body, this beautiful body that God has given you? And how can you honor it and honor others? So what is, what is your body dominated by this morning? Is it dominated by food or shame or alcohol or fear or anger or drugs or bitter, bitterness? What dominates your body? Know that your body is not sinful, but the things we do in it is. How might you know the glory of God in your body? What are some ways that you can cultivate joy and a consciousness of centering your body? What negative or self-images or ideas or philosophies have you been taught about your body? Have those actually been true to your experience? Have those been freeing or restrictive? What are you doing to care for your sexual needs and your spiritual needs and your emotional needs, your relational needs and your nutritional needs? Because those all need to be met in order to be whole and holy. Do you believe that all of these needs are essential ways to connect with God and self as you live into your whole being? So consider this morning, what are, do you maybe need to go to therapy, physical or emotional? Do you maybe need to start a diet or a cleanse or an exercise or make some medical decisions this week? Do you need to increase your commitment to spiritual practices or the church? Do you need to develop some new friendships or relationships? Do you need to say, I need to be single for a while or I need to put myself out there again? Do you need to rediscover your gender role and your worth and value in this world? Do you need to explore your sexuality? Do you need to reconcile with someone that you've wronged or has wronged you? Do you need to take an intentional Sabbath? Do you need to embrace new forms of sexuality or artistic or spiritual expression? Do you need to join a support group or recovery? Or do you just need to like integrate a hobby into your life that helps you enjoy this body and this life that you've been given? What is it that your body needs? Because if you truly want to be holy, if you truly want to do good in this body and in this life, we must listen to the whispers that the Spirit gives us in our souls to respond to that, to be grateful for this body and the ones around us, that we may reflect the glory of the one whose image we've been made in. Amen? Thanks be to God.